Good morning, everyone. How are we? You excited about Thanksgiving on Thursday? Yeah, it's going to be lovely. Um, welcome. If I haven't introduced myself already, my name is Trevor. I'm the lead pastor here at Risen, and thanks for being here, especially if you're new. We hope you feel welcome here this morning, and uh, we hope don't don't feel rushed. We've got plenty of time. The Lord's going to make the sun stand still, like He did in past, and uh, we're going to be great. If you have a Bible, would you join me in opening to Matthew chapter 6? We, in the last few weeks, uh, we had been in the book of uh, Genesis, walking verse by verse through Genesis, and um, we're not quite in what's called in the church the Advent season, which is a season where we focus on uh, Christ's coming at Christmas and his second coming as well. Um, so we've got a couple of weeks, this week and next week, and I wanted to spend this week and we'll also take next week to talk a little bit about stewardship and giving and money. Now, when I was um, sitting where you were sitting, just uh, uh, growing up as a kid, uh, visiting the church, I always thought that the church had sort of a twisted, greedy take on money. It was, I was sort of anti-institutionalism and thought, oh, the church just wants my money. I grew up in a church where uh, you walked into the building and there was a giant thermometer that was on the side of the wall and you were reminded constantly about how much money the church needed and was raising. And I just sort of had a, I think, a, a kind of callous, cynical view of the church and money. Um, as I got older, I realized that it's not just the church that has a money problem. Everyone has a money problem, um, and that only Jesus is the solution. So, um, so I want to be very clear about uh, my kind of goals is that every few years, it's just important, I think, for us to take some time to think about how we relate to money because Christ speaks about it a lot, and we want to really take his teaching and apply it to our lives. Um, Jesus talks about money more than he talks about any other temptation. And I, I'll be honest with you, don't really like talking about it, especially from the pulpit. I think I still have a little bit of trepidation about a new person walking in and, and being like, there goes the pastor talking about money again. But I want to be very clear. Um, our church is anti-manipulation. Our church is anti-greed. Our church is pro-worship and pro-discipleship. And and, uh, and the, my goal week in and week out as a preacher is not to give you my opinion on a bunch of things, but rather to feed you with God's word. And so I will do that again this morning, hoping to leave you with a better understanding about your relationship to material possessions and money and uh, a little freer. And ultimately, I'll tell you my, my biggest aim is just to once again leave you this morning marveling at the goodness of God. So um, this morning, we will talk about a treasure. Now, when you think about treasure, I don't know what comes to mind for you. Some of you maybe are famously influenced by the story of Captain Kidd and his famous amount of treasure. I'm more likely to think about Chester Copperpot. Anybody get that reference, Chester Copperpot? There you go, a couple of you. From the movie The Goonies, which came out in the 80s, where in which a group of children uh, go hunting for buried treasure of uh, Chester Copperpot. You may have your own version of what you think about when you think about treasure. 
treasure. Um, but when I say treasure, I'm thinking about more than just material possessions or money, but not less so. A.W. Tozer, the famous Christian writer, asked these questions to get us to think about what we think about when we think about treasure. And I'll apply them to you this morning. When you think about what you value most, if someone were to look at your life, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your resources and your energy, what would they conclude? What is it that you value the most? Or maybe this question helps. What are you most afraid to lose? What is the thing that you are most interested in protecting? The thing that you can't imagine living another day without? That's the thing that you hold on to most. If you identify that, you might be on to what your heart really treasures. Or here's another question. What is it you find yourself daydreaming about? What is it that when you're, when you're free from responsibilities and you're no longer consumed with streaming services and you find yourself staring at the sky, what is it that you find yourself wishing that you had? What is it that you think that if I possessed this, then things would be much better in my life? I really want this. Lord, give me this. Or what is it that gives you the most amount of pleasure? What is it that when you think about it, you delight the most in? Now, I know that for some of you, what's going to come to mind are going to be things like relationships, maybe your family, but also certainly money and possessions are going to come into the mix. In Jesus's greatest sermon of all time, he speaks about money and possessions, and he talks about the way that it influences us, and he talked about what it looked like for us to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. That's really what we are to be as Christians. We are to be people who live in this world, but we really, we live in this world, but this world is not our home. We are made for and are members of another kingdom, God's coming kingdom. And we want to live our lives in such a way as it makes sense in that kingdom. And so Jesus addresses this topic in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. If you have a Bible in front of you, follow along with me. Otherwise, it will be on the screen. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Amen. 
Here's the outline for how we'll spend our brief moments together this morning. Um, We've got three sorts of sets here. The first is two treasuries, followed by two eyes, and finally two masters. We'll begin by talking about two treasuries. Now here by treasuries, I mean places where we would store our treasure. You probably think of a bank or a safe place. Jesus begins this teaching in Matthew 6 as a long series of teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, and he has just finished talking about prayer and fasting, and he's now talking and thinking about treasure and almsgiving. And here he says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He says, do not store up for yourself earthy treasure. Because his view is that earthly treasure does not ultimately last. Have you ever gotten moths in your place? Maybe pantry moths or clothes moths, right? I have. It's a nightmare. Hard to get rid of. And so quickly, this small insect, which is hard to find, can take a suit. Maybe you only own one suit because you're a pastor and you think you only really need one suit. And so you buy one suit. Not that it's too expensive, but it's like modest enough. And then one day you discover that this tiny creature has gotten into one part of it and ruined it. And that's how I feel. Um, Moths can destroy, right? And thieves can come in and steal. And rust can corrode. Jesus wants us to think about everything that is earthly. And he's his, his imploring to us, you and me both today, don't store up for yourself the kinds of things that can ultimately be destroyed. We could add today, fires burn down. Governments take away, war happens, markets turn. No earthly treasure that you are likely to value is ultimately safe. And so Jesus implores me and you today, do not make that your security. There is no hope in it. This amount of money, this house, this car, this job, this thing that I want, none of it. Stop focusing on that to give you any sort of ultimate meaning or hope or joy or fulfillment. It doesn't last. What is it that Jesus says that lasts? Well, in verse 20, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. In other words, Jesus says, treasure in heaven lasts. That's its defining characteristic. Earthly treasure doesn't last. Heavenly treasure does. So I want you to see something. Jesus is not anti-treasure. He's very pro-treasure. He just wants you to understand that where you put your treasure really matters. He wants you to have a lot of treasure just in the right place. He knows that your and my daily temptation will be to accumulate treasure here and now, to have big bank accounts, big amounts of stuff, lots of cars, lots of toys, lots of gifts. We like to accumulate that stuff. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to have treasure in the right place. So the option is not treasure or no treasure. Jesus is pro-treasure. He's just giving you the first principle, the one you get in real estate, which is location, location, location. (laughs) Where, Jesus would ask you and I this morning, is your treasure? 
He's not saying don't invest. He's saying do invest. But make sure you invest wisely, not foolishly. Invest in what lasts. And what lasts is God's kingdom, God's word, and God's people. You might say it this way. Jesus teaches that if you invest in earthly treasures, you will lose them. But if you invest in heavenly treasure, you will enjoy them forever. You know, there are a few people in Christian history who have gotten this right, few more than John Wesley, who gives us a wonderful perspective when he said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. All value should be in light of the kingdom of God. And so the question we have to ask constantly is, what is this worth according to the kingdom of God? Back in the 1990s, I collected baseball cards, as a lot of kids did, and it was not uncommon to get what's called a Beckett card guide, which was a magazine that came out monthly, and you would get it, and you'd flip open the pages, and then you'd be able to compare, gosh, this sounds so old now, you'd compare your baseball cards with whatever the Beckett card guide said that they were worth, and you'd trade based on the Beckett guide. The Beckett guide told us, told me and most kids in my neighborhood, that if we had a 1990 98, Skybox, Metal Universe, Precious Metal Gems, Ken Griffey Jr., number 161, we would have everything. Today, that trading card is worth nearly $40,000. The Bible functions as a kind of price guide for our own life today. It helps us to see what matters most, what ultimately lasts, what that is ultimately worth. We want, as God's people, and I hope you want this too, we want to treasure the right things. As a church, we we give 10% of all of the money that we collect as a church to missionaries, which is a, a decent sized percentage, a large percentage for a church of our size. And we often have our missionaries come in and they will, we will have lunches with them or we, they will invite them here and they get to tell their story. And I think one of the things that amazes me about our missionaries, why I love praying for them and thinking about them and where they inspire me is they are people who are always oriented towards lasting treasure. Missionaries, our missionaries in our church have given up so much so that they can be a people who have the gospel and are taking the gospel to people. They want to see people come to know Jesus because they know that that's what lasts. One of the most famous American missionaries of all time who died in in the missionary field, Jim Elliott, is famous most famously for this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott ended up giving up his own life, which he knew he could not keep, but he gave up his own life so that so many more people would have life forever. That's a great exchange. Jim Elliott got it, and I hope that we get it as well. We want to be wise investors. Imagine for a moment that a woman walks into an antique shop, and as she walks through the antique shop, she sees a vase, and she knows that the vase is worth a million dollars. And then she discovers the price tag on the vase says that it's sold for only a hundred dollars. And she looks over at the register and discovers a sign that says cash only. She then opens up her wallet and notices that she only has $40 cash. 
So she shrugs her shoulders and she leaves and goes home. We would think that that's incredibly foolish. Now, if she left the store and immediately went to the bank and got the 60 additional dollars and then traded it over so that she could purchase the vase, we wouldn't think that she was morally superior to anybody. We would just think she's not an idiot. We would think that she sees rightly the value of something that someone else has missed. We wouldn't think that she was dumb or, or, or I'm sorry, we would think that she's wiser than everyone else around her, that she's smart her because she has exchanged something for something much greater. She has made a much more wise investment. What the kingdom of God promises is that when we prioritize not earthly treasure, but kingdom treasure, we exchange with God. We give God the temporary and we receive the eternal. It's a deal that's too good to be true. When I was a kid growing up, my father always said, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Well, that made it hard for me to become a Christian. Because when I became a Christian, as I heard the gospel repeated again and again, it just blew me away that God was making an offer that seemed too good to be true. God was going to give me eternity and I was going to give him my temporary life in exchange. I was going to give him my sin and he was going to give me his grace. Well, often in this world, if it's too good to be true, it probably is, but that is not the case in the kingdom of God. God says to us, you give me what is decaying and falling apart and what won't last, and I will give you what does last, what lasts forever. It's an insane trade. I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you the kingdom of God. I'll give you a, a, a riches in heaven if you exchange for what you cannot take with you. Jesus is not saying that you might lose it. He's saying you will lose it. Everything you will purchase this Christmas, almost everything you purchase this Christmas will end up in the dump eventually. Here's how the writer in Ecclesiastes puts it. Ecclesiastes 5.15, it says, As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. King Tut's tomb was opened in 1922, and they discovered inside of Tut's tomb that he had taken some of his most prized possessions, and he had put them in his tomb with him. A strange sight to behold is for some reason, in some way, he thought that when he died, he could take it with him. If you want to visit King Tut's treasures, you now can in Cairo. They're not with him at all. You can't take any of it with you but you can send it ahead. Jesus says that if you put your treasure in earthy things, you will leave it. But if you put your treasure in the kingdom of heaven, it will be waiting for you. Every time you invest in God's word, in God's kingdom, in God's people, in God's work, every time you do that, every time you invest in the kingdom of heaven, you're putting money in the bank of heaven. And it's hard to get this when you're younger, but the older you get, I'm sure you'll understand. When you're, when you're valuing earthy treasure, every day you're moving away from it. When you value heavenly treasure, every day you're moving closer to it. So let's get practical for just a moment before I move on. There are things that you probably want right now, things you wish you could buy, cool things, fun things, things for pleasure, 
things for enjoyment. And I'm not telling you to not buy the thing. Here's what I'm saying. In light of the kingdom, ask yourself, how can I and my family, how can I invest more of my time, my resources, and yes, my money in the kingdom of God? And that might be, well, I'm going to buy a used version rather than a new version so that I can give more money here. You might find a way to be more of a to be more kingdom-minded and to do more kingdom good if you ask yourself that question more often. I'll put it this way. We should use the cross before we use the calculator. Again, Jesus isn't earth, anti-earthly treasure. He is pro-heavenly treasure. So I'm not talking about being frugal. If you avoid earthly treasure and do no kingdom good, then you have not succeeded. That is not the point. The point is not to be frugal. It's to be generous towards the things of God. And then Jesus says this thing in verse 21 that's so radical. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says that your heart follows your treasure. Your treasure is connected to your heart. So you show me how you spend your money and I will show you what you really value. Jesus doesn't just say that, he takes it a step further, right? He says, treasure doesn't just reveal our hearts, it determines them. Where your treasure will be, there your heart will be. We live in the age of feelings. We value vulnerability and authenticity, and many people today determine the truth value of things based on if it feels true to them. The Bible upends that. It doesn't tell us that our feelings are not important. No, our feelings are important. But the Bible teaches again and again that feelings follow. Notice the Psalms, so many of them. I'll just point you to one. Psalm 41 says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Now, when we read this in our context, we think it's strange that this is the first verse. Shouldn't the first verse be something like, feel happy, and then clap your hands. Shouldn't the first verse be something like, make sure you're in a good mood and then act accordingly. But rather the Bible approaches this differently. It says that when you want to lead your heart a particular direction, you must act in that direction first. You start doing what you want your heart to be about. So we say, put your money where your mouth is. But the Bible says, put your money where you want your heart to go. Do you want a heart for the poor? Give to the poor. Do you want a heart for the gospel? Give to the gospel. Do you want a heart for the church? Give to the church. If your heart isn't in the things of God, there's a good chance that your treasure is also not there. So let me ask you, where are you investing? Where is your stockpile? Is it an earthly treasure or is it in heavenly ones? Secondly, Two kinds of eyes. This second section is the strangest of all the sections that we'll look at because this section doesn't strike us as obvious as to what it means. Jesus is using some Hebrew sort of idioms as a way of speaking. And here he talks about really seeing correctly. In verses 22 through 23, he talks about the eye being a lamp of the body. And he says that you want your eyes to be healthy, 
because good eyes allow you to see clearly. Bad eyes cause you to see poorly. I did not need glasses until I turned 30, and now I need stronger prescriptions every year. I was one of those foolish people who when I saw a pair of glasses occasionally, I would put them on and I would go, oh, your eyes are terrible. I'm so glad I don't need glasses. And the Lord said, you will. So now I do. And if you've ever borrowed someone's glasses who does not share a prescription with you, everything kind of looks blurry or strange or different. I mean, it's hard to see right. We all know inherently that seeing is very crucial. And Jesus is going to sandwich between money and treasures. He's going to sandwich the importance of seeing rightly or having healthy eyes. Bad eyes see poorly. And seeing poorly means that you will live wrongly. You'll make foolish decisions. Jesus says, we need healthy eyes that see things correctly. And here Jesus again is comparing and thinking about earthly treasure and he's thinking about heavenly treasure. And here Jesus wants you to understand that if we only see this present moment, if we only see the world, if we only see the kingdom of the world, and we fail to see the kingdom of God, if we only live for the present, well, then we'll be a slave to the present and we'll fail to live a godly life. Imagine that this holiday season you're going to hop on an airplane. Imagine you're going to visit family, let's say on the East Coast, maybe New York, just for illustration's sake. And you get onto an airplane and you're sitting next to a person who's got one of those oversized bags stuffed underneath the chair in front of them. And right after takeoff, you notice the person sitting next to you up against the window pulls out the bag and grabs a tape measure. And they start measuring the windows. You'd be real uncomfortable. But then after measuring the windows, they started pulling some cloth out from their bag and they began to hang up curtains. And as you continue to watch them, they started putting up family photos and they started pulling out a pillow. And you might turn to this neighbor and you might say, uh, what is it that you're doing? And if they said to you, oh, um, this is my new home, you'd be so confused if you said, what do you mean? And they said, well, I purchased this plane ticket because I don't have a place to live. And so I've decided to make the place to live this very plane flight. If they said that, you'd want to turn to them and you'd want to say, um, don't you understand that this plane ride is the journey? It is not the destination. New York City is the destination. If they said, New York City, what's New York City? I plan on living on this plane flight forever. You would say, oh, you're just not seeing rightly. You've misunderstood the difference between the journey and the destination. And you'd never want to live in the journey as though it is the destination. You'd rather always want to be in the journey, living faithfully in light of the destination. Anybody picking up what I'm putting down? He would not be seeing properly. And you'd say, he's got, a, he's got bad eyes, Jesus would say. He only lives for now. He's a fool. The wise man lives today for forever. What does it look like to see rightly and live rightly? It's not enough just to give lip service to the kingdom of God. It means that we must act on it. We must live as though we are a people who believe that we are made for another home. This world is not your home. It's a part of the journey. And we're thankful for every day that we get to be a part of it. I mean, we've got amazing weather. And last, last week we talked about all the beauty of Los Angeles and all the sin in Los Angeles. 
But we want to be people who don't just give lip service to our faith, give lip service to the idea of eternity, but we want to invite people into the kingdom. We want to share the good news of the kingdom. We want to pray in light of eternity. We want to tell others. We want to serve others. We want to give. We want to listen. Everything we want to do must be living today in light of that eternal reality. That's to have good eyes. Christmas is coming. I'm well aware. And there will be presents under many trees. Presents are awesome. Before I, um, b- before I did all of the preaching here, you guys, some of you remember Kent Crawford, pastor at Westside Christian Fellowship for a long time. He would always say, Christmas is about receiving. Christmas is about receiving. And he'd be pointing out again and again that Christmas is about receiving because in Christmas, we receive the greatest gift of all, namely Christ the Son given to us. That is the greatest gift. I hope that is the gift you're most excited for at Christmas. Because if getting a new Christmas present, a new trinket, a new widget, a new object that's going to rust and decay and fall apart that you'll ultimately leave behind, if that gives you more joy than seeing someone receive Christ and be a part of his kingdom this Christmas season, then your eyes are terrible. And if your eyes are bad, then how great is that darkness in you? We live today for forever. This Christmas season, look under the tree, but look through the tree to Christ and his kingdom. We aren't the first people to live like this or called to live like this. The great patriarchs and matriarchs of the Christian faith lived this way as demonstrated in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, you get a long list of all these people who lived by faith. You get Abraham who lived by faith. You get Abel who we talked about a couple weeks ago. You get Sarah who lived by faith. And then in Hebrews 11, it says, these all died in faith. All of these people in the past who were faithful, they died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has uh, prepared for them a city. The writer in Hebrews says, think about those people in the past. They had all these promises in front of them. They didn't have a homeland behind them that they could go to. They had a homeland in front of them. They desired a better country, a better city, a better place to be. And that place, God would be their God in and prepared for them. Let me ask you this morning, how are your eyes? How aware are you of eternity? Do you understand that this world is not your home? Do you understand that you are on your way into a future with God or separated from him? How much of your life right now is oriented toward the coming kingdom of God? Lastly, Jesus will talk about two masters. In verse 24, Jesus gets real explicit. 
Now, we'd all acknowledge, I hope, if you're with me so far, that we want our treasury to be in the right place, heavenly, not earthly. We want our eyes to see clearly. We want good eyes, not bad eyes, having the right perspective. And then Jesus now presses in and says to us, listen, you have God and you have money and you cannot serve both as your master. They cannot both occupy the throne in your life. Who do you really serve, Jesus would ask. Now listen, if you're married in this room, you probably have lots of people that you're committed to in your life, but I hope that you know that if you're married, the person you're married to should be your highest priority apart from Christ. You probably have a lot of options for how to spend your weeks coming up in Los Angeles. There's so many things to do and fun activities, but if you've got a job, I think it makes sense that your job is the most priority of where you'll spend your time apart from Christ. We understand the idea of priorities. In the same way, Jesus says, you cannot have two sitting on the throne in your life. The Christian life, in many ways, is really about priorities. Thanksgiving is going to be this Thursday, and I want to remind you that if you want to make, if you want to have a really unsuccessful Thanksgiving, make the turkey the most important thing. That's how to have a terrible Thanksgiving. If you make the turkey the highest priority, you will be a miserable person. Make gratitude and thanksgiving to God the highest priority. God and then family and then everything else and somewhere in there will be delicious food and some hopefully good football and some time around with you know, wonderful conversation. All that's fantastic, but get your priorities right. Jesus says if you try to have God and money both sitting in the throne of your life, you will end up with neither God nor money as your ultimate master. We have this temptation in us to think that if I just, if I could just get the money I needed and then make this happen, then I would be able to be satisfied. I just need that kind of vacation, that kind of experience. I just need this kind of upgrade. I just need this size of home. I just need these kinds of kitchen gadgets. Man, I would be so much better in life if I just had the right stuff all the time. Jesus warns about sex all the time. He, he warns about power all the time, but he warns about greed more than both of those. And almost no one thinks that they're guilty of the sin of greed. In my career, I can count on one hand the number of times people have said, Trevor, can we go out to coffee? I am struggling with the sin of greed. We, we rarely think that we have it. Other people do, of course, but not me. And I just want to argue this morning that if Jesus talks about it so much, then we ought to assume that it might be a problem for us as well. Let me give you some self-examination questions to see if this maybe is something that you wrestle with. Let me ask you this morning. Are you content? Are you content with what God has given you? Are you afraid of having less than you currently have? When someone asks you to support kingdom work, do you jump at the chance to do that or look for reasons why you can't? Do you treat people who have more money better than you treat those who don't? Is there something that you could give up in your life to be more generous towards the kingdom that, you, that God would have to just pry out of your hands? 
Do you struggle to share? Are you willing to give up time to serve the church or other ministries God's called you to? Each of those questions is designed to to poke you in the idol. Jesus says, serve God with your money, but don't make God money. Money is a terrible God. It can't save you. It can't forgive you. And it will destroy you. The problem with idols is that everything that we ultimately treasure and desire and serve, they often overpromise and underdeliver. If we just get them, then we'll be happy. If we just accumulate that, we'll be satisfied. We just need the right amount of stuff and everything will be okay. Idols perpetually say, give us everything and we'll give you everything you want. But then what always happens is the more we give over to our idols, the more they take and rob us of the very thing we're seeking. Idols always overpromise and underdeliver. Make money your God and you will sacrifice everything to accumulate it and you will end up unsatisfied in the end. Jesus, however, does something strikingly different. Jesus says that what he treasures most is you. And therefore, he will give up all of himself for relationship with you forever. The reason that Jesus is a better God, that God is a better God than money, is because God says, I will sacrifice and give of myself for you. And I will be able to satisfy. Money says, die for me. Jesus says, I'll die to purchase you. You weren't made to live for money. And you'll never have a free relationship with it until you kick it out of the throne of your life. So let me ask you this morning, who sits on the throne of your life? Is it money? Is it God? Where's your treasury? How are your eyes? Who sits on the throne? You will never be able to store your treasure in the right place or see the right way or serve God as king of your life until you first see what God has come to do for you. The key to generosity is is to see and to understand the way God has been generous to you. So we fall short and we fail, but we serve a sacrificial, generous loving God who wants to set you free from your broken relationship with money. And it'll never happen until you open your hands and let go of what you're clinging on to and then to close those hands on the love, grace, forgiveness, and mercy of God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would have eternal life. Jesus died on the cross, taking my sins and yours upon himself. He was buried and rose again on the third day because he treasures you and invites you to receive him. Let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Would you deliver us from the idolatry of greed, of money, of materialism, which captures our hearts. Give us your heart first for your kingdom and you alone. We want you more than anything. God, I pray that you would teach us, convict us, challenge us to act on our faith by investing in your kingdom. Teach us to see rightly, to recognize that this life is a gift and we will enjoy every moment that you give us on this life as a gift, but we are made for another world. Help us to to live in light of that reality. Help us to move, to store up treasures in heaven, to send our treasure ahead so that we may celebrate it with you eternally. And Lord, I pray that you would be the God in our lives. For we know that we sit in a city and in a room where people are grasping at holding on to money as an idol. We want to use money for your kingdom. We want to be free in our relationship. We want to be generous because you have been generous. So convict us, all of us, to be generous people and to treat our money as though it is a gift from you, owned by you, to be used for you and for your kingdom. It's in your name we pray.